This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. If you could take your device or your Bible and turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, it's in the New Testament, and if uh, you need a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you, in the pew in front of you, and it is on page 573 that we are going to be in, in the book of Colossians. Chapter 3 is where we are going to be, uh, where I'm going to be teaching from today, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 in Colossians chapter 3. So again, that's page 573. You need to know where to find it. Today, I'm going to be talking about how the gospel changes the home. How does the good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus change and transform the home, which is a very big topic, it's a very broad topic. Now, when I mention home life or things like marriage or things like parenting, we all arrive at this topic from a variety of places. For instance, some folks have very warm memories and very good examples of mom and dad and a stable home and a very warm environment. And, uh, and that's what you think of when you think of home life or marriage or parenting. But there are others here today who only have memories of instability or even abuse. Some folks here today are experiencing a great marriage. So when I mention marriage, you have warm thoughts. Others are struggling. Some might even be wondering if it's better off if we divorced. You might be contemplating separating. Some are experiencing a great connection with their children. Others are not and are frustrated at the end of their rope and looking for hope. So we can kind of come into a topic like this and self-evaluate, and we can give ourselves grades of an A or an F, and we could be exhilarated by the topic or incredibly despairing of this topic. So I come in with two hopes. My, My hopes are is that no matter where you are, that you would leave the self-evaluation and the self-grading aside for a few minutes and that you would let scripture define you today. However you would evaluate yourself or grade yourself. I'm doing great in my marriage. I'm doing terrible. I'm doing great in my parenting. I'm doing awful. Leave that aside for just a few minutes as we study Colossians 3 together and let scripture define you. And in that place of letting scripture define you, that you would grab hold of hope and believe God for change. Let scripture define you, grab hold of hope and let scripture point you in the right, right direction to believe God for change. Those are my hopes. So let's read this passage together and I'm gonna pray and then we'll get going with it. Chapter three, starting in verse 18 says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that your scripture would speak truth into our hearts and lives, Lord. We pray that you would, you would just speak directly to us in varieties of ways, Lord. Just have your way, Holy Spirit. We open up our lives to you. We open up our homes to you, Lord. And we ask that you would have your way in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Paul is going to show how the gospel changes the home by addressing three critical areas of the home. He's going to address the roles. He's going to address the responsibilities. And he's going to address the reasons. So roles, responsibilities attached to those roles. And the most important part, reasons. Reasons for the responsibility and for the roles. Okay, let's start with roles. And that's not too difficult to, to see who and what, who he's talking to here. Look, in verse 18, you see, wives submit to your husbands. Wives a role, husbands is a role, as is fitting in the Lord. And then he switches that and says, husbands, love your wives. So now we have wives and we have husbands. And then in verse 20, he addresses children directly. He says, children, obey your Parents, so children being a role, parents being a role in everything for this pleases the Lord. And then in verse 21, he's going to speak to fathers and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And then interestingly, he is going to switch from something we would normally be thinking about when we think of the home, and he goes to bond servants in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So we have wives. We have husbands, we have children, we have parents, we have fathers, we have bondservants, and then we have earthly masters. Now, what's Paul doing here? Well, he's speaking to a first century home in ancient Rome, and he's speaking very generally and broadly. He's not referencing every single specific situation that could make up all the homes in that time period, nor of, of our homes. So, for instance, he doesn't mention singles. Paul himself, being single, has a lot to say to singles, and, but he doesn't say that here in this passage. He says in 1 Corinthians, and we will be talking to and about that topic in the coming months as we study 1 Corinthians together. But here he doesn't feel the need to address singles, nor does he address single moms or single dads for that matter. He also doesn't address moms directly. He talks to fathers. So you could say indirectly he's speaking to mothers, but he doesn't. He speaks directly to, to fathers. And then in a bit of a controversial way, he speaks to bond servants, which some of your translations might even say slaves. Now, a bond servant in this time period are those who work for the head of a household, and it would not be synonymous to the evil of slavery in America for a few specific reasons. Number one, it wasn't driven by race. Slaves were often voluntary, or bond servants often voluntary. They were often highly skilled. They had status in the community, and they could buy their freedom over time. So it, it was just a structure of society in that day 
a modern day equivalent would be like an employee-employer kind of relationship. But like women and children in that time period, they did not have rights like the head of the household had. And many of them were taken advantage of because of that. So, so some significant differences, but many of them were taken advantage of, like oftentimes employees are taken advantage of. So, so here's the roles. He's speaking generally. He's speaking broadly about the roles of the home. And then he dives into the responsibilities. And notice there's kind of a one-word responsibility that he attaches to each of the roles. And you'll see that pretty evidently. So in verse 18, wives submit as is fitting in the Lord. That's the one word for the wife. Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What's the one word for the children in verse 20? And all the parents said, amen. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And bondservants, similar to the children's, one word is to obey in everything that the earthly master is asking you to do. Well, let's, let's talk about these one by one here. Let's look at submit. What does it mean to submit? Well, it does not mean that you roll over on every decision. It does not mean that you do not have an opinion. It does not mean that the husband always has the best ideas. It does not mean the husband is the most educated. It doesn't even mean the husband makes the most money in the house. It doesn't mean that when you get into the car, the husband is always going to know where he is driving because surely he does not know where he is going, and he is going to need help, constant help. So submit doesn't mean any of those things. Here's what it means. It simply means to have a yielded posture of respect. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you're not gifted. You could be highly gifted, highly qualified, highly skilled, but as you help your husband, it means to have a yielded posture of respect in the way that you share your opinion and share your thoughts and all those other things, share your gifts in the home. So submit doesn't mean this. It means something altogether different. Notice verse 19. What does it mean to love your wives? And why does he talk about that? Why does he say, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them? Well, husbands had a challenge back in that day, just like husbands have a challenge today, that in this role of leadership, oftentimes it can be wielded with a harshness, with a, a, a firmness that doesn't communicate grace and love and patience or flexibility. And so what he says to husbands is love with gentleness and kindness and re with respect. And so in Ephesians 5, he's going to really talk about what it means to love your wives, and he's going to describe it with the kind of love that Christ has for the church. So in Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this love that the husbands are supposed to take on in this responsibility is not a passive love. It's not a harsh love. It's not a, 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 a love that's held back, but it is an active, 
pursuing love of your wife in the way that Christ pursues the church. And what does Christ do? He's not passive in his love for the church. He lays his life down. He sacrifices his life. He sacrifices other things so that he can lay his life down on a cross in the most brutally, most agonizing way in his love and in his service for his bride who is the church. In the way that Christ sacrifices is the way that husbands are to sacrifice and love their brides. And the way that Christ gave himself up for her is the way that husbands are supposed to give themselves up for their wives. So that's the, that's the priority. Now one commentator described it this way, the active unceasing care for her well-being. Active, unceasing care. That's the way Jesus loves us, isn't it? Active, unceasing, never stops. It's our whole life is in his view whenever he's caring for us. So that's what it means to love. And then he goes on to children. Children, obey your parents in everything. Now he also addresses this in Ephesians 6 where he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Paul has no problem in speaking directly to kids at the church in Colossae. He just says, kids, listen up, lean in. I'm going to instruct you in something. It's not your parents' responsibility for you to obey. It is your responsibility before the Lord to obey your parents in everything. Now, obviously, if they are committing a crime or if they are telling you to do something that is against God's law, Clearly, that's not in view here. It's just talking about, generally speaking, as your parents are instructing you and telling you what to do, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And and it goes on in Ephesians to say that it may go well with you. In other words, if you do not, it will not. If you do not, it will not go well for you. So kids, as you're listening to this and as you're getting older, we have six and up in here. The older that you get in the household with your mom, with your dad, as they're instructing you, as they're telling you the direction to go, if you buck against that system, it will not go well with you. And it should not because you're commanded to obey your parents in everything. And then he talks to fathers. So assuming children adopt this posture of obedience towards their parents, not perfectly, but assuming children are doing that, fathers don't take advantage of that. Don't don't rule the house with the kind of harshness and inflexibility that maybe you would be tempted towards your wife or the, the way you're tempted to do it at work. Don't approach the home that way and don't approach your wife that way and don't approach your kids that way. Don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, provoke is an active verb, and it literally means don't intentionally irritate your kids. Don't exasperate them. Don't push them over the ledge by being unreasonable in your expectations. Well, what kind of unreasonable expectations could fathers ever have? Well, I don't know. I I couldn't imagine what those expectations could possibly be. What if it's that they be just like me? A carbon copy of me. That can sometimes be provoking to your child who is not going to be just like you. Or perhaps that they be nothing like me. 
particularly as it relates to sports or academics. You know, that I, my child is going to excel me, do what I never did, be what I always dreamed he or she could be, and I'm going to make sure it happens. Now, we live in a culture, we live in a city where that is exactly what's encouraged. That, that you live vicariously through the accomplishments and the successes and the trophies and the direction of your child. Gosh, that can be so provoking. It can drive your child to lose heart and to despair that I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be you. I can never measure up to the standard that you have. That can happen sometimes, and it is happening. What's he say in Ephesians 6? Well, he says, don't do that. Don't provoke them, but bring them up. Nourish them. That means... uh, Put them in a context where they're going to nourish and thrive and and develop on their own. Bring them up. And he says, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So he says, in the context of the church, in partnership with the local church, with appropriate teaching and with appropriate correction, celebrating who they are and the way God's wired them and the gifts that he's given them and all of that along the way, nourish them, develop them, grow them up in the church this way. And don't, don't put your unbiblical or your own personal expectations upon them that's going to drive them maybe away from you. And then he says in verse 22, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Great modern example would be employees. Don't just serve by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So do it from the heart, even if you don't understand what the boss is requiring, or even if you completely disagree, you have an opportunity to serve the Lord by serving your employer. All right, we've got roles. We've got kind of a one word responsibility for those roles. And now we're going to look at reasons. Now, what I'm about to say is the most important part of this entire text. Because if you miss the reasons, you miss the gospel. Because you can go to a lot of places and talk about, you know, get advice or read a book or hear this or that message or seminar on how to be a good wife or how to raise healthy kids or, you know, how, how to do better on the job and all those kinds of things. And some of those principles might be helpful, but not always are those principles motivated by grace and motivated by the death and resurrection of Jesus and God's love and grace towards us in Christ. But Paul labors to give us very clear reasons why you embrace the responsibilities and why you embrace the role. And he goes big time, and I want you to see it. Notice in verse 18, wives submit to your husbands, why? Every wife should be asking that question. Why in the world? He assumes you should be asking that question. He assumes that your husband in and of himself is maybe sometimes not worthy of a posture of respect. So you need some reasons here. And so he's going to give you some very clear reasons why. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting 
in the Lord. Now notice he says the Lord there. He's going to say it five more times. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Look at verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters with sincerity of heart. Why? Because you want to fear the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And then he summarizes the whole thing. You are serving the Lord Christ. So six times he brings the focus back to Christ. He recognizes and anticipates our questions about the role and about the responsibilities and all the nuances and challenges that come day to day with embracing these kinds of responsibilities. And he directs it heavenward to Jesus. And he says it's all about him. He labors for us to see that it's about the Lord. So why should I embrace this role with these responsibilities? Well, the first thing he's saying right here is that you are in Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord is a very specific theological concept that Paul has already talked about throughout the book of Colossians that he's reminding people in the household to remember because he has labored to talk all about who we now are in Christ this new eternal identity that we have as believers in Christ. Sinners who put their faith in Jesus have a new identity that they are wrapped up in. And he has labored to talk about that throughout the book of Colossians. And he's just reminding them, all of, all of them, in all of these roles of this right here. So in Colossians 1, if you just want to look over to Colossians 1 in verse 12, here's a great summary of how he says this. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a mouthful. And that is a huge theological good news that sinners are now saints. Sinners who were once in darkness are now in light And we've been qualified, not because of our good works, not because of our behavior, not because of our performance, but because of the good works and the performance and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And by simple faith in him, God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light and has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we who were far from God are now forgiven of all of our sins. We now have a redemption in which God, who was at odds with us and at odds with our performance and of our sin, now we are at one with God as our Father. And the Father loves us as He loves the Son and loves us with the very love that He has for the Son, all placed and directed towards us because He's qualified us and He's changed our identity and transferred us from one kingdom to a whole nother kingdom. You were once only a sinner now you are a saint in light. And then he labors throughout the book of Colossians to give us unblushing promises of who we now are in Jesus. 
We were once this way, but now 122 says we are holy. We are now blameless. We who had so many reproaches because of our bad decisions are now above reproach before him, 122. We are now indwelt by the very spirit of God. We are one with Christ, literally buried with him in baptism and raised with him. So where he is seated in his exalted place, we are. He says in 2.13, we are alive together with him. No longer alone, no longer lonely, but alive and with Christ. We are forgiven not of just one trespass or 10 or 20 or 100, but 2.13 says we are forgiven of all our trespasses. Every single one. And we are free from the record of debt that stood against us. We who have stacked up a, a record a mile long, we are free from in Jesus. We are with Christ and alive in him, 220. We are united to Christ in his death. We are hidden with Christ in God, 3-3. We are God's chosen one, 312. We are the beloved of God. We are the forgiven of God, and we are recipients of the inheritance. Paul, in his letters, over and over and over and over again, wants to brainwash, because our brains need washing. He wants to wash us of this identity that we walk in, that uh, I'm, a, I'm a mom, or I'm a dad, and I'm not a very good dad at that. I'm a I'm a son, I've got these responsibilities, and I'm, I'm doing okay on some things and doing really bad on other things. And this is who I am. And Paul wants to labor to say, listen, if you are in Christ, that is not just who you are. Those are realities that you're walking with and challenges that you're walking through. But that's not just who you are. He says in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You, you, is Paul saying that being male or being female doesn't matter? No, far from it. He's not talking about that. He's talking about there's a whole new reality that's been placed over you, a whole new role in the kingdom of God that's been placed over you as you're walking through very specific roles and responsibilities. We've got this higher calling. We've got this higher place. So that's one reason that we can embrace these roles, embrace these responsibilities, because they're not eternal. They are temporary. And they are gifts that God has given to us. But there is a higher dimension that we're to be focused on and be caught up into. And one of the most dangerous teachings that finds its way into the church is when well-meaning Christians take one of the roles and you know what I'm talking about if you've ever experienced this? Like the role of a wife, like the role of a husband, like the role of a child, the role of a mom, the role of a dad, and then teach that it is your highest calling. If you want to get frustrated really quick, 
and then not please the Lord at the same time. Take any of these roles and make it your highest calling to the neglect of your relationship with Christ. And it's easy to do because it actually, it finds its way in a lot of teaching and it's well-meaning, but it, you know, mom, this is your highest calling. Mom, the worst thing that you could do as a mom for your kids is to take your role as a mom and make it your highest calling. What your kids need is to see that mom's highest calling is to Christ. Dads, what your kids most need is for them to know that they are not your highest calling, your highest affection, your highest responsibilities. Is it a high responsibility? Yes. Is it an important one? Absolutely. Do we need to grow and, and, and be better in these things? Without question we do. But what's our highest calling? Our, dad, our, our kids need to see that dad's highest calling is to Jesus. His, his heart. Christ has his heart. Christ has his affection. Christ has his, his, the, the top priority of his time. And, and, and he's not perfect. And he's, he doesn't worry about trying to be perfect because Christ has declared him perfect in, in Christ, in him. And so he's not worried about becoming something. He's already arrived in Jesus. And so, gosh, we, we, we need Jesus' words to the person who asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? That needs to be released in our culture. It needs to be released in our city. And we need to grab hold of that as a church. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's what employees need to do. That's what children need to do. That's what moms and wives and dads that's what we're called to do. And then love our neighbor as ourselves. It's that priority. It's Christ first and everything else secondly. And that's what he gets to in this next little section here. So he says, through these responsibilities, embracing who you are in Christ, you actually have the opportunity to serve the Lord directly. Now that's literally what he says in verse 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And in case we miss the point, he goes on to say, you are serving the Lord Christ. So wives, as you submit to your husbands, you're serving the Lord Christ. Husbands, as you love your wife, you're serving the Lord Christ. Children, as you obey your parents in everything, you're serving the Lord Christ. Fathers, as you nourish your kids and don't Provoke them. You're serving the Lord Christ. Employees, as you embrace every job, and as menial as the task is, you're serving the Lord Christ. And that's, that's the point of it all. There's this, uh, there's this TV show that I saw a couple years ago, and I was reminded of it. I was looking through Netflix, and I saw this that you can get on Netflix. It's called Undercover Boss. Anybody see this show, Undercover Boss? 
I only saw a couple of episodes, but it's pretty fascinating. It's like the CEO, you know, the president of the company goes undercover, and for two or three weeks, uh, he shows up in the mailroom, he shows up, or the cleaning crew, or the wait staff, depending on what the, what the business is that he or she oversees. And it's just enjoyable, you know, you see the CEO being trained and taught how to mop the floor, or how to serve the line, and it's just enjoyable. It's fun, to, it's fun to see. But it's also interesting to see how people relate to the guy or the lady when they don't know he's the boss, she's the boss. And, you know, two or three weeks goes by, and they get the invitation to, you're going to meet the CEO. The CEO of the company wants to meet you. And they don't know what they did right or wrong, so they show up, and they're sitting in this real fancy office, and they're anticipating, who knows what's going to happen? Am I going to get promoted? Am I going to get fired? What's, what's going to happen here? And then the CEO walks in, right? And much to their surprise or shock or horror or terror even, you know, they see the, the CEO just now walking in. And it was just Jimmy. I just, it's, no, you're the, you're the, you're the president of the company, you're the CEO. I thought you were just, you know, Jimmy. I just thought you were just Sarah. I had no idea that you were in charge the whole time. And that's the, the most enjoyable thing. What, they, they all look back and most wish that they had done their tasks a little bit different and approached that person, obviously, a little bit different. But they all kind of say the same thing. I had no idea the whole time I was serving the boss. I had no idea. When I was mopping the floor, I had no idea that I was serving the boss. When I was asked to do that menial task, I had no idea that I was serving the boss. When I was training that person, I had no idea that I was serving the boss. And Paul's getting at that point here in this passage. We, we, we've been given a few responsibilities. And sometimes those responsibilities can seem overwhelming. And, and oftentimes the overwhelming aspect of the responsibilities is it's, it's constant. And oftentimes it's menial. It's every day. And man, it, all kinds of temptations come when it's every day and it's constant and it's challenging and you can just lose perspective in it all, can't you? And what Paul is trying to remind us is that there's an undercover boss here with us, helping you in it, and that you are serving him directly as you embrace these roles, as you embrace these responsibilities with these reasons in mind, that as we, as we take on what God's given us to do, we have an opportunity to bless him and serve the Lord directly and to worship God through it to worship God through it. So in summary, we embrace temporary roles and responsibilities because our identity is not in them. It's not in them. And we've got to, we've got to do the hard surgery of removing our identity in these roles and responsibilities and forcing our brains to focus on our new heavenward and heavenly place that we have in Christ. That's where our identity is found in. Not in our role and not in our responsibilities, but through them we can go back into them and directly serve the Lord. Now God knows our weaknesses. We are weak in this, aren't we? This is, this is challenging to maintain and to embrace 
Not only because our flesh is weak, but we have an enemy who constantly barrages us with lies and accusations to say you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, just quit, just give it up, give up your marriage, give up your kids, give it all up. That's what you'll hear all day long. Anybody hearing that right now? Yes, you are hearing that right now because you have an enemy who hates you and hates your marriage and hates your kids and hates everything about what we're doing here today. And it will constantly tempt you and accuse you in these areas. And we have to just be aware of that. We will always be constantly under attack as believers in Jesus, this side of eternity. And God knows our weaknesses, and that's why he's designed the church to be the place that homes are strengthened. We're not to go satellite, go off on our own, try to do this on our own, in our own ability. He he says, don't do that. Gather together as a local church, resource each other, help each other, speak life into each other, Be honest and talk about your struggles. Talk about what you're walking through. Talk about the highs and talk about the lows. And that's what we do when we gather on Sundays. That's what we do when we gather in community groups. We want to come into a place of authenticity to not talk, talk about how just great things are. That's wonderful. But we also want to talk about how difficult things are because that's reality, right? That's why we gather and we just talk about where life is and we apply the gospel to our lives. And I'd like to close by sharing some ways that as a church, we're trying to put some wheels to this and help strengthen the home with the gospel. Here's uh, a couple of current ways you may not be aware of. So what we do through Grace Kids is we want to provide the best resources we can so that moms and dads feel equipped as the primary disciple maker in the home. So we highlight resources from time to time at Christmas and at Easter, family devotionals, things like that. So you can expect more of that as we move forward into the future. But one thing you may not know about is that every week an email goes out uh, through the city and it says, this week at Grace Kids. And Ryan Lowe puts that together, our administrator puts that together. and, And that goes to every parent who has a kid in Grace Kids. And that comes with discussion questions from Sunday's message, a sermon connection, so you could actually kind of connect what adults heard in here with what your kids heard in Grace Kids, and even scripture memory. So you can, and we have rewards for that, like back there, like we actually have some pretty cool rewards. So you can enforce that, not, you know, you know what I mean, help your kids with scripture memory, I'm not going to chase that down, but you know what I mean, with scripture memory and all kinds of things, you you can just, it's all about driving faith home and equipping you. You're the spiritual hero in the home, not what takes place with some fabulous teacher. We have great teachers in Grace Kids. We want to continue to have great teachers in Grace Kids, but they're not the primary discipler in the home. Mom and dads, God has called you to do that. If you're brand new with us as a church, you've never heard that before, that's our declaration to you. We will not disciple your kids as the primary discipler. We will come along alongside you. We will help you. We will encourage you. We will root you on. We will celebrate what God's doing through you. But God has called you and equipped you. And our job as a church is to come alongside you and help you. So that's, that's one resource you may not be aware of. Another resource is through our student ministry called The Square. So on Wednesdays, second and fourth Wednesdays, we provide gospel-centered teaching that's applicable to middle school and high schoolers. But we also provide a context for community, just like adults have community groups. 
our students have discipleship groups, and we have 11 groups led by students, I'm sorry, led by parents and singles who pour into students. Uh, and and that's, that goes on in the meetings, and it goes on once a month outside of those meetings. So it's a, sort, it's a place where they can build relationships, ask questions. They can process how, their understanding of the gospel, get prayer, that kind of thing. Same as adults do through their community groups. Here's a new way that we're trying to see the gospel transform the home. We are going to begin a brand new ministry for resourcing the home, and we're calling it Grace at Home. I think we have a logo there for you. So the mission for this ministry is pretty simple, to strengthen the home with the gospel. And right at the very start of it, we have some pretty big prayers as we've talked about it as pastors. For instance, Lord, through this ministry, would you prepare and strengthen marriages so that they thrive and flourish no matter what season they're in? Newlyweds, premarital, you've been married 30 years and you need to sharpen it. Prepare and strengthen marriages. Lord, would you help parents feel equipped to disciple their kids. Whatever age those kids are, whatever season or struggle or challenge that they're going through, would you help us come alongside parents and help them feel equipped and give them the the adequate and appropriate resource, the best resource possible for that? Lord, would you foster a community of resources and support for families with special needs? That's a huge ministry and huge need in our city. And we're, we're going to have a guest speaker from Stonebriar at the kids' training here in just a little bit. Come talk to us about uh, things that they are doing at Stonebriar. Lord, would you help us with this? Lord, would you help us build a network of support and resources for families pursuing adoption or foster care? Currently, we have like 10 families, I believe. And that number is growing And as that number grows, we need to build a community of resources and a network of help where we're sharing and and pursuing and helping one another with this. Lord, would you raise up and release leaders who can strengthen families with the gospel? There are folks in this church, many of you, God has gifted, God has equipped, God has given you some unique experiences that would help other families. We want to release you into doing that. There are many of you that have some very unique skills and abilities. We want to know about them, and we want to appropriately release you to serve other families in the church. Now, all that vision we know starts small and starts with some small, faithful steps forward. So many of the things that we are going to be doing through Grace at Home is just going to show up in the background It'll just show up in the background with resources that you'll hear highlighted from Grace Kids or from the square. But we will also do some events that are more visible that you will hear about more on Sundays. For instance, you you may hear in the coming days about a support group for adoption and foster care families. So we don't have a timeline on that, but that's something that we've talked about and discussed together. Uh, That would be similar to the marriage growth groups, which, which we are going to continue to have. So support groups, that'd be one. Uh, Secondly, would be equipping nights. Equipping nights. As we've talked about it, we'd like to have some seminar-style teaching events. 
that address some specific needs as it relates to parenting. So we, we have four on the calendar, two in the fall and two in the spring. I'm going to give you the, the two in the fall and give you the dates and invite you out to it. On September the 28th, we're going to have an equipping night called Surviving and Thriving the Preschool and Toddler Years. So how do I follow Jesus when my hands are full of kids, animal crackers, diapers, and job responsibilities? When my whole life is mush, <laughs> how do I find stable ground? What are some appropriate goals for teaching my kids in the gospel in these, in these years? We're going to have our best and brightest up here. We're going to have a round table. We're going to be super practical. We're going to have child care provided for that. That's going to go on at the same time as the square. So from 7 to 8.30, we're going to meet back here and just inviting any dads and moms to come on out to that and network with some other moms and dads in the same season of life and get some practical help. And uh, it's going to be a great time together. On October the 12th, we're going to have an equipping night called Parenting Through the Elementary School Years. So we're just going to take the, the next leg of parenting and address a lot of questions that get asked in this season. How to think through schooling options these days. How to balance responsibilities. How to set grace-motivated expectations. How to do it all, which the answer is you can't do it all. So we're going to talk about it. So that's going to be October the 12th. So it'll be kind of back-to-back. -back. Also, same, uh, it'll happen at the, during the square meets uh, from 7 to 8.30, Wednesday night. Child care provided for that as well. The Lord has also opened up an opportunity to host a conference. So we, we want to have these small support groups. We want to have some teaching times in the spring, in the fall. In the fall, we're going to talk about uh, raising teenagers. And the Lord has also given us a vision for hosting a conference. And next July, July 14th and 15th, I'm giving you the, the dates now because it was pretty amazing how this whole thing came together. But we are going to host a marriage conference. And author and speaker Paul Tripp is going to be joining us for that marriage conference. Many of you may have know about him or seen a book under his, uh, his title. He's written several books. And he's just going to pour into us for a couple of days. And it was like his only date available all of that year. So it's just amazing how the whole thing came together. But we're super excited about it. We want you to be as well. It's a great weekend to have the grandparents come and watch the kids. And we want you to register early. Uh, everybody here, register as soon as we have the registration up. That's going to be the 14th to 15th of July. You can count on it. So he's going to be coming and pouring into us for a couple of days. All these things are our, our steps forward. These are small steps forward in, in a direction that the Lord wants us to go. But I believe what the Lord wants all of us to do is to take one big step forward into who we are in Christ. That we, that, that we can then look at these responsibilities the way he wants us to. Not with self-condemnation or self-congratulations, but just looking up to him and saying, any role, any responsibility that you've given to me, it's all worship back to you. So let's close by... Uh, standing and praying together, if you don't mind. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.